You're listening to I Love This You Should Too with Indy and Samantha. Hello, cruel world, and welcome to another episode of I Love This You Should Too. My name is Indy Randawa. I am one of your co-hosts, uh, Captain Bringdown, Mr. Overanalyzer, and with me is your other co-host, our resident cheerleader and rom-com <laughs> lover, who's making all sorts of great poses as I say this, Samantha Hees. Hello. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Did you like that little intro? I did. That was very overdramatic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this movie isn't dramatic enough for that like intro. Oh, it's dramatic. So much drama. Um, If you weren't listening to the last episode, go listen to it. But also, we are going to be talking about the movie My Neighbor Totoro from 1988, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. And uh, Samantha had never seen this movie, and it was one that I really liked. So I suggested that we watch it. I didn't talk a lot about the reasons why I think you should watch it, because I wanted you to just go into it not really knowing. And I appreciate that. I think that knowing and like having some kind of preconceived notion kind of stops people from being able to like form their own opinion. Yeah. I thought this movie would be a great gateway into a lot of uh, maybe less accessible things that I'm going to get you to watch in the future. Uh, Because we watched a movie once that had that transcendental style called A Ghost Story. Yes. And you hated it. I hated it. But I think this is a gateway into that style, a style where um, everything's given a lot of space. It's almost a meditation on certain things rather than a story about certain things. Right. And this is the most accessible thing that you could consider transcendental, I think. Oh, interesting. See, I wouldn't put those two together because I felt like the entire time we were watching Ghost Story, I was on the wrong drugs. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, I was. Which drugs were you on? I, none of them. Oh, yeah, those are the wrong <laughs> those drugs. Those are the wrong drugs. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe some migraine medication right i don't know but i just felt like i wasn't doing something correct because right. it was just totally lost on me and i really i understand how a movie like that can be really hard to get into but i think that's ultimately like where i'm going not necessarily that movie but movies that maybe you would completely dismiss if we kind of take stepping stones into them mm-hmm. you and hopefully our audience at home can uh can see the appeal of things like that. And I'll explain why I think that works in this movie. And also, this is a movie that doesn't really have a lot of set rules. Yeah. Like, we definitely have rules in movies. We know what's going to happen, even if we're surprised by things. There's certain things that should happen at certain Mm -hmm. times. And My Neighbor Totoro breaks a lot of those. So I thought. But it breaks it in such like a, a charming and unobtrusive way Yeah. that I think it's really accessible and it'll be something that we can build on going forward. Absolutely. So that all being said, I loved this movie. Did you? I love it. Oh, that's awesome. So the only thing I knew about Totoro was like what Totoro's looked like. Yes. The merchandise. The merchandise. Because you can buy like Totoro stuff at like Hot Topic. Yep. And we saw it when we were in Vancouver like two years ago 
At, if you go to any Asian market, you're going to see All some, the Totoro stuff. Yes, um, and I bought my good friend a Totoro for her desk, not really actually knowing what Totoro was. Mm-hmm. So I went and visited her Totoro last week and was like, I know. I know all about <laughs> yeah. you now. I know you. Yeah. He's one of those like solar powered ones. So he like kind of dips back and forth. It's really cute. He's so round. Before we get into the discussion, I wanted to read someone else's review, which is something that I don't ever do. Maybe I will in the future. Interesting. But this is uh, from Roger Ebert. This is what he had to say when the movie was first released, and I think it sums it up really nicely. He's a guy. He says, here's a children's film made for a world we should live in rather than the one we occupy. A film with no villains, no fight scenes, no evil adults, no fighting between two kids, no scary monsters, no darkness before the dawn. A world that is benign, a world where you can meet a strange towering creature in the forest, you curl up on its tummy and have a nap. And that's such a great uh, summary of the movie because it tells you all these things that it's not because those are the things we usually see in this type of movie. And I think it really separates itself from... From Disney and from from most animated films. Yeah. I like that that overview of it. Roger Ebert, he's a really smart guy. (laughs) I don't think I've ever read enough of, like, his stuff, Mm -hmm. like, reviews and stuff, because I'm not a big movie review person, because I feel like all the movies that I like are always reviewed really poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Except now, uh, My Neighbor Totoro's... I think we haven't done many movies on this show so far, but it is definitely the highest rated and best reviewed movie we've done. I think on IMDb, it's close to a nine. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's like a 94%. It's pretty much beloved. There's not a lot of bad things to say about it. How have I not seen this movie? Like, I I just, I don't, I get it that I haven't seen it. And like, it's not one that I would probably pick up just from like the front of the thing. But it's like... It's got some big people in the English version. Also, like, when it was released, because it has the Fanning sisters in it, I don't think yeah. they were big at the time. No. I think this predates their their fame. And just, like, anything that is, is foreign, it's not going to be on the shelves as much. It's even true. though this one is probably one of the, the best known. Yeah. When was it released in, like, North America? It was released in 1988 in Japan. And yes. it did have its release elsewhere pretty close to then i'm not sure if it got a full theatrical release here because i know there's a lot of countries that just didn't get it in theaters china got it in theaters just last year so it was re-released by walt disney home entertainment because the rights to the original dub expired in 2004 so it was released by walt disney in 2006 yeah so that's when you could get it on a home video yes but it was not released in theaters widely i don't know the numbers exactly but 1994 Sorry. <laughs> That's when it was released in theater. Okay. In, in North the America? U.S., yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure about the numbers exactly, but the movie did not do particularly well huh. in theaters. It did not break even. Uh, it was released with Grave of the Fireflies, which is another Japanese animation, which is fantastic, and we will at one point watch on this. <laughs> okay. Although it's also the opposite of this movie because it's so sad. Aww. Like. It's the saddest movie I can think of off the top of my head right now. Oh no, that's not good. Um, But it is very good. So it didn't make its money back in its theatrical release. Then when it was released on home video, it finally made its money back and made 
I think like five times as much in a home video release. Hmm. But then when it went to merchandising, as you know, it did very well there and has now made, I think, close to $2 billion wow. based on merchandising. Well, Totoro's are really cute. They are very like, cute. That is a cute, cuddly little animal that is like not scary looking and is very like pillowy. So this movie is definitely cute. It's a mm-hmm. cute movie. But I don't think it tries to be super cute like a lot of cartoons we see when they yeah. kind of they definitely know what they're going for and they just go like let's just make it as cute as possible kids love cute yeah in this one the kids who are very cute but are also just straight up kids and totoro is very cute but also there's he has those big human teeth and he is kind yeah, of like yeah he's got some like weird little things to him yeah. that make him kind of quirky and not like your adorable disney yeah, and you were saying that the cat bus was kind of creepy, and He's I think creepy. cat bus, yeah, super cute, but also yeah, a little creepy. And everything in this world is kind of like that. It's not necessarily overly cute, so you know what you're getting, but mm-hmm. nothing seems menacing or threatening, though. No. But we're getting really into it before we even started, so we I are. should ask you, what was your favorite part of this movie? Um, I think May is my favorite part. Oh, how just could she like, not be? Just like the way she's, like, it's not even just like her personality, it's the way she's animated. She's mm-hmm. really cute, she's very much like, what do we think, she's like four or five? I think she's five, yeah. Five? Right okay. around there. Yeah, because she's not in school yet, so I think... As a five-year-old, she moves like a five-year-old, and she's very yeah. much, like, tempered like a five-year-old. Definitely. And I think it's it's really entertaining to watch her because she is so much like a kid. Well, I think I'm going to join in with you right now because I was going to say my favorite part of this movie is just uh, the depiction of childhood in general. Yes. And most clearly in May. I love how when she's following her sister around, she just shouts the same things that her sister does. She's always imitating her. And she behaves like a true child. Like a true child, yeah. I love that one scene when Satsuki is... She wants to go inside, but she doesn't want to take her shoes off. So she just walks on her hands and knees. Yes. Because I've done the exact same thing. thing. Like it's, And how they just run everywhere constantly. Her ability to run. Yes. As someone who is currently trying to run a 5K, I'm like, how do you do that? How do you run for like an hour? And I love when Maeve runs, she runs with her arms kind of like to her side behind her. Yeah. And like little things like when she goes out to play and she goes like, okay, I'm going to play now. About four seconds later, she comes back and says, is it lunch yet? (laughs) Like those are the things that are just... It captures childhood really well, I think. Just the way they play together, the interaction between yeah. the two. And yeah, May especially, how she's characterized. She's so cute. Oh, and the opening credits, I'd have to say. The opening credits are definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, they're really cute. That I little love the song. animation too. and the song. Yeah. The yes. song is one thing. I have no problem with the um, the Disney English dub, but I think the song is much better in Japanese. I think so. We've we've listened to both. We watched the Disney English dub. Yes. Um, and the mom and the person who sings the song is uh, actually Mulan and Princess Jasmine. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Leah Salonga. You know one other one? Uh, you know, they just call her Granny in the movie. Yeah. That's Ursula. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. And you forget that, like, Disney just has this group of actors. Like, 
They just they, they're they're for everything. I love when there used to be like voice actors rather yes. than now when it's just like ah oh, we'll just get Justin Timberlake to do it. Yeah, he can he can be a troll or whatever he was. <laughs> so I think how childhood was represented and that kind of the sense of wonder about everything, and there just seemed to be infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. Like going down this little path could be anything. Who knows what's in their house? All of that uh, is what my favorite part was. Too. Yeah. So what was your least favorite part then? I found the cat bus really scary. Oh, I love cat bus. I know you. You rode in a cat bus. I rode in a cat bus. It was a cat train, I think, technically. But oh, yes. okay. But still, I, I don't know. It's a mix of its face because it's mm-hmm. very like Cheshire cat creepy. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also, I don't like when they go inside the cat and sit down and it's really squishy. <laughs> like a, I didn't think it was really squishy. I think well, it's just as squishy like as a cat would sink be. Sink into it. Yeah, like a cat. I've never sat on a cat. Well, you could imagine what it'd be like. <laughs> it's creepy. What about you? Um, well, I think my least favorite part is cat bus related. Although I love cat bus, I see how it can be a little creepy. Yeah. Uh, there's this one shot, like right near the end, when they find May where the cat bus jumps off the power lines oh, and know, it yeah. clearly has balls. Balls. Yeah, you can see cat bus testicles, which I was like, mm, I don't know if that was necessary, but yeah, I guess why that why leads, not draw something that would be there, I guess, too. That leads to like a whole bunch of questions for me. Like, can cat buses recreate? Is there yes. more cat buses? Yes. Can you have like little baby buses? There is an answer to this. And I told you the answer, but I think you thought I was joking. Because I often say things that sound like they could be made up, but they are not. So kitten bus is a real thing. Kitten bus is a real thing. There is a not quite sequel, but it's a little short called May and the Kitten Bus, where May befriends a kitten bus. And it's just little and it only has six legs and it's just big enough for her to fit in and it's a kitten bus so i I definitely thought you were kidding when you told me that yeah it's um unlike how most things come out on dvd where you get all these special features there is a short called may in the kitten bus but it is only available for viewing in tokyo at the miyazaki museum so you can go there and you can watch it okay let's go to tokyo okay it's pretty good let's use our big podcast dollars oh yes also if you want to sponsor our podcast and trip to tokyo let us know yes we uh We'll bring you back souvenirs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but in the the short, there's also like a grandpa or grandma cat bus. And it's like a yacht. No, it's not like a yacht. It's like a cruise liner. It's just huge. And it's really old. But... See, that's where I totally thought you were kidding. No, that's that's Because that then is real. you that's started making up all these like family members and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're, you're joking. Like, this isn't a real thing. <laughs> nope, that is real. Me and the kitten bus. It's pretty cute. So one of the things that I really liked about this movie was um, the scale, because you're almost watching it as like as a small child, because that tree is huge. Yeah, I really like that. And too. some of the stuff is like really big, and some of the little critters are like the size that like a child would probably imagine. Yes, like accessibly. They sized. kind of have like that baby Totoro and the middle one, and then the big baby one. Totoro. Baby Totoro is my favorite. I think the middle one's my favorite. It's super cute. And then Big Turtle. But oh, yeah, of so like everything is, seems so big. Yes. In perspective, like that tree, there's no way that tree is actually like huge well, like maybe that. Maybe it is. I've never seen a canopy tree in, in real life. I really liked how trees just kind of looked in the movie and how um, how nature looked and how the houses were always just kind of blended in. It didn't seem to be 
like a dissonance of like this is nature this is man-made it was all kind of blended in there's a certain uh certain balance to all of it in this movie yeah i like that and everything yeah like you said it blends really nicely yeah there's definitely a balance between the the nature and the man-made and i wonder if that kind of links to to childhood because it kind of suggests a time when things could uh, could go together more easily that they had this uh, almost unity to things before mm-hmm. the stresses of adulthood, before the stresses of what we consider modernity, mm-hmm. and they could just kind of sit and be one with nature. It was simpler. They kind of have an idea of uh, of nature as something healing in the movie too. Like when they take the corn because they're like, oh, this will make mom better, and they they thank the tree at one point. I think, yeah, little things like that. It was for like protecting the land or like i can't remember why they thanked the tree but i liked that it was like they were very thankful to the tree and thankful like that it had protected me maybe because she gets lost in the tree at one point she gets lost all over the place yeah and there's also a lot of benefits that uh, their interactions with nature and kind of the the unstructured play mm-hmm. you can tell that i'm uh I'm a teacher because I always talk about the benefits of unstructured <laughs> yeah. play as seen in My Neighbor Totoro. They go out and they just kind of play. There's no set rules to any of their games. They just like going out and playing and being kids. And that's something I think Miyazaki actually came right out right and said in this article that um, how he's so concerned with kids today, how they are not necessarily how everyone says like, oh, kids are on their phone too much. It's a lot of that. But he says that some everything is so structured now. And yeah. people have lost that link with nature. And this shows that yeah, you can have that and play unstructured. And like the kids almost seek solace in the in wilderness. So their their mother is sick, but it's never really seen as something like, like a true conflict but it's something that they're dealing with and they deal with it by going out and playing in nature may falls asleep out there yeah and like the imagination that they use i feel like that's something that children those kids these days yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm shaking my fist you can't see it um but uh i feel like that's something that children kind of lack because they're so inundated with things that kind of do the imagination for them like definitely video games and phones and that kind of thing it's all very like in your face and you don't have to think about it mm-hmm. it's just like here's a fantasy world for you it's in this app yeah and you don't have to do anything these except are for the rules press to it. buttons yes, yeah. yeah you're like guided story games and that kind of thing mm-hmm. there's so much technology to to build whatever you want yes. there's set rules to all of it it's not just a complete free-for-all because no technology ever could be like, no only only your own mind can do that exactly yeah and with technology right now and like digital narratives and stuff it's it's very much only as far as you can imagine it Mm -hmm. the maker yeah so there is no wiggle room i spend uh, a lot of time with kids and i've had so many classes that just don't work because i don't give enough boundary Mm. like they need a lot of boundaries if you ever say like that they can write a story about anything, they'll, nothing will happen. But if you say it has to have these five things, then you can start getting some stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I understand digital narratives a little better now because I took that class. I took a class on digital narratives and storytelling. So there you go. Now you're a pro. Now I'm a pro. I'm really, I'm really important and interesting now. <laughs> now you are. Before <laughs> not so much, but now. <laughs> Yeah, there seems to be like a lot of restorative power in yes. nature in the movie. There is this uh, Japanese art, belief, something, 
kind of translates to forest bathing. I'm going to butcher it because I don't speak much Japanese, but it's like shinrin yoku. And it just means like you go out in nature and you just kind of bask in it and that's going to heal you. Oh, okay. So it's like the equivalent of like going for a hike. Yeah. Getting out of the city or going camping and it's so quiet and like. Definitely. To, like... And I think it's a lot about uh, about stillness and just kind of being out there and absorbing what's around you. Not just going outside to with a specific task in mind, just just being. That's fair. I like the the idea of stillness like throughout. It's a yeah. much slower paced movie than most things you're going to see targeted at children. True, true. And it, there's a lot of nice lulls where you like you actually get to enjoy kind of the scenery and the backdrop and all of that. Yeah. I see that's what I meant when it's kind of a a pre precursor to that transcendental style where it everything has room to breathe. You have time to contemplate everything to like really look at it. It's not just all coming at you. Yeah. Uh, it was really different when it came out because in the 80s, there was, of course, a lot of uh, great Japanese animated ones like Akira was from around then. But it was they were taking their inspiration from big blockbuster movies a right. lot more while Miyazaki started taking his inspiration from like people like Ozu and Mizoguchi, who were older Japanese filmmakers who really had slow paced and I think beautiful films, but it allowed everything that space to breathe. There's this one idea that Miyazaki had talked about, and again, I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to <laughs> Japanese words, but I think it's just ma. It means like gap or space or the space between things. Right. And he was talking at this one point and he was playing, I think it was a different movie though, but it was showing one of his own scenes and something happened and then he just paused and he went <laughs> he just clapped his hands three times and he said like when i know i can do that that's giving everything a chance to uh, to establish itself on screen right to allow that connection with the audience and i think this is a really good example of that that's that's really interesting this is why i like doing the podcast with you because you know things about like film stuff i know things about stuff things about stuff yeah <laughs> so i'm confused about something okay where do they live japan other than japan i mean like because there's a streetcar and a bus and rice fields yeah is japan. that that's just japan japan in like the 50s yeah oh Maybe I'm taking things for granted. Like, what um, What seems weird? Well, that there would be, like, rice fields and a streetcar, because it seems very, like, like acreage and, like, country. But at the right. same time, there's, like, a streetcar and, like, buses running through a forest. And, like, it just seems, it, it seems very out of place. Okay. So, again, I've only spent, like, a couple months in Japan, but here's from what I know. I actually do know a little bit about trolley systems and their history in Japan. Oh. It was really big pre-World War II. Like, there were trolleys everywhere. But what? then when um, when automobiles started to get more popular and Japan started making them especially, they tore up a lot of their old tracks to make highways. Hmm. So there definitely were a lot of uh, trolley systems. And we're also thinking of it in North American terms, that when you're in the country, 
you're way out there. You're far yeah. away from everything. And maybe that's that's what I'm thinking of. Is yeah. like because even our cities, like we live in Edmonton, Alberta, which is a city of a million Ooh. people, but getting transit from one end of the city to the other is very difficult. It's a very hot button topic in our city. Yeah. Is the transit and how it affects traffic and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because we are so spread out here. Yes. But you have to think in um, in Japan, although it's very rural at this point, they're not terribly far away from one metropolis or another Hmm. and since japan is so much smaller because think of if we had um 30 times as many people as we have in canada yeah but they were in half the size of alberta we would probably have much better transit covering true because we'd have to yeah and uh, most of the world is like that north america is the exception like in the u.s and canada we just don't have trains going everywhere which Which would be awesome it is awesome Every so often, people float the idea of doing like a high speed train from like one major city, so from Edmonton to the other major city in Alberta, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds so great!" And like they do that in other parts of the world, and yeah. and we just can't. It, it just doesn't. It never takes off. I think we could do like a whole podcast on why we don't have trains in North America. I think a lot of it is uh, automotive and oil companies. Honestly, true. Yeah, true. It'd be less money for the cars and the oils. Yeah. And if you don't like oil, get out of this province. It's we true. Hate everything. You can never ever say anything <laughs> yep. bad about oil. <laughs> it's it's weird if for people who are not from here how that one thing is our biggest thing. Yeah. It's the most offensive thing you could say in Alberta is something anti-oil. Yes. Isn't and, that weird? And like we neither of us have jobs that are oil related. Yeah. But you just know that you don't You can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. You'll get fired from whatever job you have. <laughs> <laughs> it's like coming out as a Klansman in the U.S. No, actually, you can still be a Klansman and be pretty popular oh, yeah, yeah. in the U.S. You Never can, mind. It's worse than that. You can be a high-ranking government official. Yep. It'll probably help. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's get back into <laughs> Anyway. Ooh, we can get off our soapboxes, our collective singular soapbox. Yep. It's uh, pretty crowded up there. I wrote a bunch of notes for my neighbor Totoro, but we actually watched the movie a few weeks ago, so I'm kind of like fuzzy on a bunch of yeah, things. Yeah, it was another one of those like, oh, we, we're going to do it, we're just going to get it done, and then things happened. Yeah. Life. <laughs> I always try to guess how much you like a movie based on watching you during it. So this one, you only went on your phone twice. Oh my god, I forgot that you were counting how many times I go on my phone. However, the first time through, you got too tired and we couldn't watch it. And then the second time, we watched it at about one o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon and you did fall asleep. I did fall asleep. But not for long. I woke you up. Yeah. <laughs> and made you finish it. <laughs> Although you said like, oh, I'm just going to take a nap. And I said, it's only 20 minutes. And then you made it through. <laughs> I'm a sleepy baby. That's true. Uh, but as I was saying, I wrote a bunch of notes and I was going over them right before this. And I started reading stuff and Sam was like, oh my God, what are you talking about? <laughs> I actually asked you if you were okay. Yeah, actually, <laughs> There's a couple okay? real dark ones. <laughs> I like my notes are kind of here and there and there's little pieces, but I was I just have the word melancholy written down. <laughs> That's and not then surprising. It says felt in many moments and not just the subplot with the mother. I said, um, these giant trees and all these creatures that they meet are going to outlast them, meaning the the daughters. And they have only a few years before the joys of childhood are behind them. This is like, it's really sad. But I think there is some certain sadness to the movie. I think so. Because it's, they're joyous and they're wondrous as children, but 
I also wrote something that every childlike action they do, every step they take, every decision they make is one step closer to adulthood for them. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I'm probably just looking into things too much, but I really did feel that going through this, that it's a movie that celebrates childhood and our link to it, but also how fleeting it is. Absolutely. Um, So why is the mom sick? Tuberculosis. Really? This is a good point about childhood, actually. So they don't, it's never really explained. We just know that she's sick, she's in a hospital. Right. Because that's all that May would know. Right. She doesn't know what tuberculosis is. That's fair. And I think that's a that's a really clever technique by Miyazaki, by keeping it vague like that. Yeah, because kids only know what they know, and some kids would never question what they have or how they got sick. It yeah, just, she just wants her mom to be better. That's mom's all that sick. matters. Maybe yeah. she'll get better. Yeah. And she just wants to know when she'll be back and what she can do to help. Yeah. But uh, I know this, or I think this, because I know a little bit more about the backstory. Right. So it uh, Miyazaki's mother was ill with tuberculosis. And th- their situation is very much like what we see in the movie. Okay. Uh, the original draft of the script only had one child, and it mm. was kind of like based on him. Right. But then they split it into these uh, two characters, which I think works much better. Oh, I think so, because the older, like, more mature part in... What's her name? Satsuki? Satsuki? Yeah. It's spelled Sasuki, but I think the way May says it is always like, Satsuki. Satsuki, yeah. I think her outlook on life is a lot more, like, closer to adulthood, because she goes to school and she knows people and she's having, like relationships with her classmates that are like way beyond what may would be able to have yes this is actually like a whole subgenre of literature in japan oh it's called um shoujo i think it just means like young woman it's a lot of these movies and um manga and stuff that have characters who are not women not girls they're kind of in the middle and not not i don't think teenager is the right mm. word either i think it's often younger than that like uh, like saski is in this and like she the starts, britney spears song please not a girl not yet a woman not yet a woman yeah, yeah. i think yeah. uh she was big into shoujo manga yeah That's I, why. I bet she was yeah britney spears yeah so um <laughs> she starts taking on a, a mother role yes. kind of in this yeah and she goes up and and i heard miyazaki did this like one was him when his mom was first ill, and one is him as he's kind of grown up and like dealt with this and is starting to become a uh, an adult. And they're both uh, shown between the two daughters there. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. And I think the friend, oh, what's his name, Tanka, the weirdo. I was so the con- little boy. I was so confused by him because all of his reactions and his actions were so strange. Oh, and like, tell me more about that. I just I wrote in my notes. I said confused. The kid with the hat and weird basket is really strange. Well, the one thing I was going to say is that I think that's a little bit of Miyazaki as well because the kid always has airplanes and stuff. Yes. And you'll see because we're going to watch more Miyazaki movies okay. at some point. I'm There's always a lot of flight airplanes. So that's kind of a, one of his things. Hmm. I really liked how he acted because it felt to me another great example of childhood in that he had these emotions but didn't know what to do with them. Like, he clearly had some sort of interest in Sasuke, but he couldn't say anything. So he would just kind of get there, shake, and, like, thrust an umbrella out and go, hmm, hmm. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how to say, like, hey, I kind of like you. Take this umbrella. It's raining out. I guess when you, yeah, if you look at, like, eight-year-old girls and boys and, like, 
That's yeah. very much the interaction. It's very much of the age of like boys chase the girls and like big pack of boys and big pack of girls and they don't mix. Right. They're just they're not friends because <laughs> they are so different at that age and there's like no interest in any other way. And yes. I think that the heat is a really now that you've explained that to me, I, I can see how that that character would be very conflicted because mm-hmm. he clearly wants to do the kid things with may and satsuki and like they look they always look like they're having fun yeah and he's always working and stuff yeah too. and he's like looks like he really wants to get in there with them and do the kid things and have that fun but at the same time he also is kind of like he has an obligation to his family and he doesn't quite know what to do with girls yet yeah. <laughs> and like he like is very conflicted in his feelings towards May and Satsuki. Mhm. And we see a little bit of com- of that coming out in the girls too like when May wants to go to school and she just sits there and won't talk and um Satsuki is like, "Well, what's wrong?" and then she won't talk, but eventually she just goes and hugs her because yeah. she has all this emotion, but she just has no way of uh, expressing it. Of expressing yeah. it, and I think they did a really good job of of showing what it's like to to be a kid and have all these things that you want to say and you want to do, but you just don't know how to. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk about Totoro as a character because I feel like he's like kind of one of the main characters, and we haven't really talked about him very much. Like Big Totoro. Big Totoro. Mm-hmm. Is he based off of some kind of animal? No, he's kind of like I like don't an know. imaginary friend. Do you mean like in the truer sense of like does he exist? Well, I mean, because I feel like lots of like imaginary type friends are based off of like real things, like tangible things that you can like see, right? And visit at a zoo, and um, you can like see like he has bird feet and human teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and like little ear things and like a tail i think he has a tail yeah, yeah and like a tummy almost like a bird like i i just kind of want to know like if you know what he's based off of i don't like i would just look at him and say like owl rabbit <laughs> <laughs> owl rabbit i like it but i don't i don't have anything more on like oh he's based on this ancient tale or something i think he's just he's just totoro yeah I thought it was a very odd choice for him to have bird feet. Yeah, I, everything about them is like kind of uncanny. It's not the same choices that you would see made in a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just a little off. And, yes. But I, I kind of love it. But he's also very much like the imaginary friend. Like he's just some random like. Yeah, he's just an amalgamation. You could see like the girls had um had looked at a bunch of picture books and this is what they kind of put together. Yeah, yeah. and like... It's also very something that I noticed. It's also very drawable for a child. Yes. So it's very much like, you know, when kids are doodling and they're like kind of just doing whatever and there's no direction or anything and you get this blob with arms and claws and like round eyes and bird feet are easy to draw. Now that you say that, if you told a five-year-old to draw an imaginary animal... If you give 10 kids that task, one of them is going to draw Totoro with that I think so. Because it just has, like, all those things that you can draw, like some big eyes, a big round belly. Like, oh, I'll give some rabbit ears. I can't really draw hands, so I'll just make claws coming yeah, out of it. Yeah, and, like, feet are hard, yeah. so we're just going to give him the little, like, toes. Hmm. Okay. 
I think I answered my own question there. Yeah, I think a lot of people ask about like, well, is it real? And they get yeah. caught up in that. And I don't, I don't really care. But when you say that, I was like, oh, that totally makes it sound like it's imaginary now. Yes. But I don't think it is. Do you think there's Totoro's out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. They're just, out there. We're just old and boring. We I'm can't see old, them. I'm too old. I can't see them anymore. That's a thing I really loved about this movie is right off the bat when the kids are like, oh, I saw these magical forest creatures. In every American movie, yeah. the father would be like, no, that's not real. And then that would be the conflict. Yes. They manufacture conflict that way all the time. Sometimes it gets so frustrating when the kids are like, hey, this happened and it's endangering our lives. Parents always go, nope, that's not real. And it's so frustrating to, to have those kind of manufactured yes. conflicts. And in this one, the father, whether or not he believes it, he definitely plays like, oh, he believes it. And he's right on board. And the mother goes like, oh, it's haunted. That sounds fun. That's awesome. And they're both, they both believe their children. Yes. And Granny says, oh, I used to be able to see those when I was a little girl. The soot sprites. The soot sprites. Yeah. The soot sprites are going to make a return in another movie we're going to watch at one point. (gasps) I'm excited. Um, but yeah, I love that Granny and like all the adults, none of them like shut them down. No. Granny was like, I used to be able to see them yeah. when I was a little girl and now I can't anymore because I'm grown up. But if you see them, you just, I can't remember how she tells them to like. Oh, you just have to like yell at them and then they'll leave or something like that. I think it's because, yeah, because they inhabit uninhabited places. Yeah. And then they do all leave. And then they all leave and they go up and into that tree. And it's not a conflict. They're, the sprites aren't doing anything evil. No. It's just they're like, oh, and then they leave. Yeah. And the same with Totoro. It's not anything malicious. It's oh, just yeah. fun. And there isn't a lot of conflict in this movie. And that's another reason I wanted you to see it. To see how those rules that we've um, come to know and understand from movies can be broken. Actually, I don't even think that's the case in this. This doesn't even get into that argument in the first place. No. Like, there's conventional movies, which can be great or terrible. Like um, Star Wars follows all the archetypes, all the conventions, and yes. I think it's fantastic. Bride Wars probably follows all those things <laughs> yeah. too, and it's terrible. But you can go along with things and be great or terrible. Yeah. Uh, you can use those things and break them, like something like Cabin in the Woods, and to play off of those conventions, and that can be really interesting. But then you get like the rare set of movies that doesn't even acknowledge that these conventions exist. It's not even playing that game. Yeah. It's not even introducing these types of conflicts where we would normally see them. Um, It's not making relationships the way that we would normally see them. It doesn't even really have a plot or a conflict like we're used to. The only conflict would be when May runs away. Yeah, so that was a conflict and definitely the climax of the movie, but it's so small in the grand scheme of it. It's really hard to to describe this movie if you told someone it, what it was about. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, some kids go and they meet some forest creatures and then one of them gets lost and then they're found. I think that's why you and my friend Kim never actually explained to me what the movie was about was because it's really hard to like... Because it's not about much. Define, Yeah. yeah. It's like explaining a painting to someone. It doesn't matter. The plot of this movie doesn't matter. No. How it makes you feel is what matters. And it made me feel nice. Yeah. Makes (laughs) you feel like being a child again. Yeah. It's just nice and comforting and fun. It is. I think as vague of a word as that is, there's nothing better. This movie makes you feel nice. Nice. It's it's a very nice movie. It's got all the feels. (laughs) All of them? Well, I just had one. Nice. Nice. 
The nice feel. Yeah, but I just love that this world exists without all the rules that we that we see in movies. And this is a movie that I think you can hold what I say today against me in the future. Because I'm going to go against all the arguments I made today when it comes to most movies. Because to do the things that this movie does, pull it off, is not easy. No. It's like comfort food. Yeah. And I'm sure in the future, you're going to have a movie where I'll complain like, well, nothing even happens in this movie. And you'll be like, well, yeah, but in Totoro. And I was like, don't you dare complain this. Totoro. Totoro. I'm not even going to say, yeah, but in Totoro. I'm just going to go, Totoro. (laughs) That's the exception to the rule. I guess. That's fair. You know what? There always has to be an exception to the rule. So when we were discussing pre-show, we don't discuss much, but you also said something about how everyone is dead. Not everyone. <laughs> but uh, let me let me posit this theory to you. Totoro and Catbus and all of them exist in the world of the dead. So like Hades. Yeah, something like that. Or in the world of spirits. Well, they might very well be in the world of spirits. But how this relates to the kids is when May goes missing, they're concerned that she drowned. Right. They find that one sandal and they go, "Is, is this May's? And Satsuki says, no. But the theory goes that, like, yes, that is hers. But she was so... um. So traumatized, so shocked that she was in denial, and she says, right. "No, my my She's sister say can't no be dead. My she sister is alive, alive somewhere." Yeah. But at that point, May has drowned and died. So to find her, Sasuke calls upon these spirits from the other realm or the underworld to take her to her sister. Whether this means that at this point sasuke is committing suicide or if they're actually going on some sort of journey to find her Mm, that's unclear there is a true story that happened a couple of years before this film came out about a little girl who did drown and they found her sandal and then the sister who was supposed to be looking after her so racked with i don't know if it was guilt or sadness killed herself wow so then um, Sasuke calls upon Catbus to take her to the underworld. She finds May there, meaning that now Sasuke has died as well. Right. And then at the end, they're both looking in that tree, looking over her, her mother. Their father can't see them, but the mother thinks she saw something because she's very near death herself. I was going to say, is it because she's like yeah. half in, half out? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's heavy, but also very plausible. Yeah. All that being said, I don't believe it for a moment. It's not true, but that's just a thing that uh, that is out there. It's out there so much so that the executives at Studio Ghibli put out a little press release saying, that's not true. Stop saying it. <laughs> they are not dead. They're not dead. Uh, Totoro is not the god of death, and nobody's dead in this movie. Oh my god, I didn't even think about Totoro being the god of death. Yeah, or a god of death. Wow. Well, that's uh, quite a note to end on. <laughs> yeah, but it's not true. It's all, this movie's all just goodness and happiness. And nice. Yeah, very nice. So nice. I think that's a good place to end for today. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this, which really should have watched it before listening to this, but definitely go out and see it. It's a, it's a really easy watch. You can just, just put it on and relax. Unless you're like me and then you'll fall asleep. Yeah, but Twice. you you were so relaxed that you I fell was so asleep. relaxed that I fell asleep. I was so nice and good and like It's very nice and good. And then I fell asleep. But I went back and rewatched. So now I've seen all of it. Good job. <laughs> 
Um, it only took me three tries. All 86 minutes. All 86 minutes, yeah. Oh, no, I guess we forgot to do this, but we always talk about the beer we're drinking. What do you got today, Sam? Well, today, I don't know, I was feeling this summer weather that we've been having, and uh, I'm drinking a Granville Island Brewing, which is out of Vancouver, uh, the False Creek Raspberry Ale, and you made a comment yesterday when I came home with it that I had a lot of raspberry stuff going on. You I did have two raspberry beers with you well i had just discovered raspberry ginger beer it's very good because raspberry moscow mules are the best yeah the the crabby stuff is quite nice it is yeah so i'm i'm excited to make those up and then um the raspberry ale is just it's very summery and light and it's just a nice beer to have um because it's so flavorful and it's not it's only 4.5 percent, so you can i think it's better than the wild rose raspberry Calling you out, Wild Rose Brewery. Prove me wrong. Send me some free beer. Send us some free beer. We will (laughs) gladly try it again. So if anyone out there wants to get a hold of us and perhaps send us some delicious free beer, and then we'll say that you're a sponsor or something and plug your beer all the time. talk about you for two episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How how could they do such a thing? Well, Indy, they can email us at ilovethisyoushouldnumber2 at gmail.com. You can tweet or Instagram us at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. And you can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should 2-podcast. Yes. yes. So please do that. Get a, get a hold of us and tell your friends. Send us some beer. We'll, we'll drive friends. and pick it up. Yeah. Wait, depending on where. Oh, I guess. Yeah, we're not going to drive to like. As far as Portland. I was going to say, like, Calgary. But... I'll go to Portland. I, I, I want to head on down there. Sounds good. Yeah. Montana? Oh, I yeah. I go to Montana a lot. I love it down there. It's yeah. a beautiful place. I love camping there, but there's, like, shooting ranges everywhere. I never actually go and talk to anyone in Montana. I assume they're all nice because everything's pretty, but I actually stay really secluded every time I'm there. So you think that, like, pretty places equal nice people? Yeah, it's probably not true. I don't think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. (laughs) Anyways, I like Montana. Okay. It's very pretty. Hey, Montana. Who's from Montana? What beer, what breweries are from Montana? Uh, Big Sky. Oh, Big Sky. Send us some beer. Yeah, they have some good stuff. Anyways, I'm just going to talk about places I like to camp and beers I like to drink. So let's go. That's for camping beer time with Indy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, subscribe to that one. (laughs) (laughs) So we will be back next week with my pick for a movie that Indy has not seen. Um, And I'm going to tear it apart i pick one bad movie and now you're gonna like measure all other movies that i pick with that well prove me wrong samantha prove me wrong okay indy i will i think it's time to let you listen to whatever's queued up after this on your podcast feed we'll uh we'll see you next time this has been i love this you should too enjoy radio lab Bye. bye